The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Bring in show music, please. Hi, I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on Squawk Pod, a whirlwind weekend in tech. First, the CEO of OpenAI out. This is like such a crazy, batty story. The man building the future of artificial intelligence, Sam Altman, removed by his own board. OpenAI is so far ahead of everybody else, including Google. His next steps and where AI leads. You're playing with fire. And Elon Musk in hot water with advertisers. Again, tweeting around anti-Semitic content and losing money in the process. How Anti-Defamation League CEO Jonathan Greenblatt counsels Musk. If nothing else, Elon is very impulsive, but he does have to understand that when, again, you are one of the most influential private citizens on the planet, you got to be careful when you spread this stuff. Plus, a big interview with Janet Yellen, the Treasury Secretary's comments following an historic summit with China, but she's still focused on rising prices here at home. We're making this inflation progress while maintaining a strong economy and a strong labor market. So that's good news for Americans. It's Monday, November 20th. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand Becky by in three, two, one. Cue it, please. Good morning and welcome to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. We are live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. And here we go. It is Monday. You were right, Joe. Got here pretty fast. Uh, U.S. equity futures at this hour. You'll see some green. First up today on the podcast, a Silicon Valley soap opera, the ouster and the fallout of a sort of coup in the world of artificial intelligence. Sam Altman was the co-founder and CEO of OpenAI, the 80-plus billion dollar startup behind the ChatGPT artificial intelligence chatbot. Altman is tech's newest superstar, the face of the company furthest ahead in the race to develop workable AI technologies. Well, Friday afternoon, a great time to do new things. Four of OpenAI's six board members voted to fire Altman as CEO. Reports indicate that tensions had been building, in part over disagreements about the potential dangers of artificial intelligence. What are we building here, anyway? And over Altman's move to commercialize ChatGPT and quickly changing the nonprofit structure of OpenAI to a for-profit model. A blog post by four members of the board speaking collectively was a little vague. These directors said they did not believe Altman was communicating honestly with them. Sam Altman was notified via video meeting on Friday that he had been fired. The move shocked the company's employees and major investors, including Microsoft, which had invested billions in OpenAI. Over the weekend, those investors pressured board members to bring Altman back. On Sunday, Altman posted a photo of himself on X at OpenAI's headquarters. Now, in the picture, he's wearing a visitor's badge. 
with the comment, first and last time I ever wear one of these. That led many following the online drama to think he was on his way back to his old job. But talks between Altman and the board reportedly reached an impasse. So at three o'clock in the morning, Eastern Time Monday, Microsoft's CEO Satya Nadella announced that Altman would be joining his company and leading a new Microsoft AI research team. He'd take with him Greg Brockman, an associate who had also served as OpenAI's board chair and was booted in the Friday shuffle. Caught up? There's more. A huge weekend as it comes for AI technology that folks think is uh, potentially uh, Super innovative and super amazing, but also I think it raises all sorts of questions about governance. This was a very unique model of having this sort of not-for-profit overseeing uh, what ultimately was a for-profit uh, piece of it. Of course, Sam Altman never had equity uh, in that piece. And now, of course, the question is, how is this all going to work in the future uh, with Sam and Greg at Microsoft? What do they know? What can they take from the world of OpenAI and bring that to Microsoft? There's, there are so many questions this yeah, morning. It, what it, happens to so many of the more other employees? More questions than answers, right? I mean, Andrew, I, I, this is like such a crazy, batty story trying to figure it out. I, it, it, Microsoft has invested $13 billion in OpenAI to get a 49% stake. That 49% stake basically didn't get them any say in how the company was going to be run. Um, and, and, and now Microsoft share is actually up by about one and a half percent today, but I can't figure it out. I mean, they spent $13 billion and they're still saying that they're supporting OpenAI, but now they're hiring all of these people, Altman and all these other people coming over from OpenAI. What will they be able to use? What will they not be able to use? Where are their intellectual property kind well, of I think disputes the idea that could come up down protect, the road? This is really an effort to protect the investment yeah, and what they do dollars, get. Right. What they do get is all, I mean, look, OpenAI is materially right now so far ahead of everybody else, including Google. Um, Google may be getting closer to catching up, and there is an issue, which is, you know, if you buy enough chips and you can train enough on them, you can get pretty close. The question is, was there a step change even in the past couple of weeks where OpenAI got even closer to what's called AGI, uh, which is artificial general intelligence? So I think there, I think Part of what was happening all weekend from Microsoft's perspective was trying to just save well, what they have more than anything, protect the, the investment they have. And the question is how these two organizations will continue to work together. Interestingly, by the way, if you run by a not-for-profit, um, it's actually very unclear how much influence a for, the, the, any kind of for-profit entity or others could technically have on the company. Otherwise, you lose your not-for-profit status. If you're worried about AI, you'd want a non-profit, a not-for-profit overseeing things. But if you know what makes the world go round and what keeps people honest and you know, watching expenses and everything else is a for-profit venture. So I don't, I don't know how you try to do it. Well, that's a, the debate in Silicon Valley. Is, right. is it the thing that keeps things honest or not? Or does it push them too quickly to try and, and, and make, turn a profit? Well, in, so in this case, disregard some of the security. Reminds me of biotech. Because it reminds me of biotech. If you move too quickly, I mean, I'm not saying Wuhan that was, was due to, to that. But, you know, you're playing with fire when, when you have things that could... You know, you could create something that could be the end of mankind. I guess it's, in, in a way, it's not, you know, maybe way down the road, it's a similar concern, but it, it's dangerous in, in, the, in the same way. So you wouldn't want people that just all they thought about uh, was profit running either a biotech firm or an AI firm. You, 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 want, you want governors and, and guardrails and everything, but it's hard in practice to do it, which I think you're seeing right now. It'll but be now a whole new all of it, by the way, now all of them are going to be for profit. I mean, 
if you think about it, Google, yeah. Inflection, now it's effectively Microsoft, uh, Elon Musk, uh, XAI, which is another piece of news I'm sure we're going to talk about in a minute. So there's, you know, everybody turns into a for-profit, and maybe those motives, I mean, it goes to a free market situation. I don't know. Maybe that's better. Maybe it's worse. This is a, a Financial Times piece you want to talk about. It says Linda Yaccarino, our former colleague and CEO of X, formerly known as Twitter, is resisting pressure from advertisers and friends of hers to step down. Why? To save her reputation? The FTP says Yaccarino has refused to leave her position, telling sources she believes in X's mission and its employees. Those calls are obviously after X owner Elon Musk uh, said he agreed with a social media post accusing Jewish communities of pushing hatred against whites. Uh, the companies who suspended uh, advertising include Apple, Disney, Paramount, Warner Brothers, and Comcast. Uh, Yaccarino's former employer and obviously the parent company of this network. On Friday, a White House spokesman uh, denounced Musk for promoting anti-Semitic and racist hate. After Musk's uh, comment that amplified the anti-Semitic uh, conspiracy theory, he turned his attention to the Anti-Defamation League, accusing it of unjustly attacking the majority of the West, in his words, and of anti-white and anti-Asian racism. ADL CEO Jonathan Greenblatt is going to join us to respond to Musk's comments, and he's had a long and a um, lot of back and forth that we've talked to him about with his relationship with hey. Elon Musk and Twitter. Andrew? Hey, Joe, there's a, there's a bit of an update to that story, though, because, you know, over the weekend, Elon Musk made a couple of comments uh, suggesting and saying very explicitly uh, not only that he's not anti-Semitic, but he doesn't support all sorts of things. And then it's really actually, in some ways, the, the story that we were just talking about has right, shifted so old. materially yep. from, from, well, from Friday. And, and, and where are we today? I don't know. We, I'm well, not sure well, we're going to talk about it. Yeah, that's, that's why it's great that we have uh, Jonathan coming on and, and he can... I don't think Elon Musk is anti-Semitic. I, I don't know. I don't know what, you know, and we've talked about him so much. And, and there has been, between Greenblatt and the ADL and Musk, there's been, it's, this has been a, a soap opera back and forth over the past three months. Bill where, Ackman's supporting him. Yeah. I mean, Bill Ackman's been so outspoken about what's been happening on right. college campuses, but he is supporting Elon Musk. But it is, I mean... It, the two stories we've already talked about this morning are the ones that just have your head spinning and you were trying to figure out all weekend right. what, what, what either too. of them well, meant. Two, two other things I was going to mention, if I could, about that. Bill Ackman's uh, foundation has a stake in Twitter, and you know <laughs> he's talked about how he would like Elon Musk to be effectively potentially one of his partners um, in you know going public. So I just put that out there for what it's worth. The other thing that was so interesting was that Elon Musk now says that XAI, which of course is their artificial intelligence uh, vehicle, that if you own part of X, are now going to get 25% and be 25% owners of the new AI vehicle. That's actually a huge thing that happened over the weekend uh, because potentially people always say, will they ever make his money back or will all those investors ever make their money back? Well, if you believe in artificial intelligence and that that piece can actually do something interesting, that actually could be a... a, a, a a very viable way to do that. So I thought those two pieces were sort of worth noting. Coming up on Squawk Pod, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen recapping the Biden administration's meetings with Chinese officials, talking Taiwan, trade, and even AI. The administration obviously sees enormous potential benefits from AI, but dangers as well that 
clearly need to be addressed. In fact, this was one of the topics that President Biden and President Xi discussed. Plus, how's that fight against inflation going? Yellen weighs in on prices, voters, and much more right after this. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This is Squawk Pod from CNBC. Here's Andrew Ross Sorkin. Let's uh, get uh, straight to our big uh, interview of the hour. Uh, She joins us to talk about the economic takeaways from last week's meeting between uh, President Biden and Chinese President Xi Jinping. We want to welcome Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen, who was also at San Francisco's APEC Summit last week. And uh, Madam Secretary, we appreciate you joining us. I wanted to start uh, with that meeting and what what your impressions were going into it, but also what your impressions were really coming out of it. Well, um, clearly, this was an opportunity for President Biden and President Xi um, to deepen their communication, to um, try to make some concrete progress on uh, things we can work on together. Uh, Coming out of the bilat, there was an important agreement concerning working on fentanyl, which is killing 100,000 Americans a year, and importantly, military-to-military direct uh, communication, which had lapsed and is extremely important. President Biden expressed the importance of um, avoiding conflict, that we want healthy competition, but want to avoid conflict and President Xi certainly agreed with that approach. Uh, Both presidents um, expressed concerns over uh, some economic uh, policies and actions of the other. But importantly, uh, there was a recognition that we have an opportunity to work together on things of mutual concern and concern to the globe, uh, things like climate change and debt and um, constructive uh, collaboration, I believe, will um, be ex- be in coming going forward. Did, did you feel any more confident coming out of this around the future of Taiwan and Taiwan's independence? And the reason I ask this question is from the readout that came out from that meeting, there was a suggestion that uh, President Xi still does have every ambition uh, to uh, one way or the other take over that country. But at the same time, uh, that he doesn't necessarily want to do that militarily. Um, he said publicly with the, some of the CEOs, he does not want to have some kind of military confrontation. But how do you square those two ideas? And how do you think 
Western and U.S. businesses are supposed to think about that? Well, President Biden made clear that our China policy, our Taiwan policy, has not changed at all, and um, that we want to see uh, peaceful relations uh, continue and um, certainly to avoid military action. This is clearly a very important um, issue from China's point of view, and President Xi did express uh, the view that it's important for uh, Taiwan and uh, mainland China to unify. He certainly expressed the desire to have that occur by peaceful means. Um, but President Biden said our policy remains unchanged from what it's always been with respect to Taiwan. Was there any additional conversation about companies like TikTok? I know that and, and ByteDance that owns TikTok, there's been real questions about the national security concerns that it may represent uh, and some of the, the things that are pouring through social media at Americans now um, over the last month as it relates to uh, uh, the attack in Israel and the like. And I'm just curious what kind of conversation, if there was, might have related to that. This wasn't an explicit um, matter of discussion between Presidents Biden and Xi. Um, I, I met with my own Chinese counterpart, Vice Premier He, for uh, two days preceding uh, the Biden-Xi meeting. And we did discuss uh, issues concerning China's investments in the United States and the CFIUS process, where we review uh, investments. But there's legal action that is currently pending in regard to TikTok. And um, we're not really able to pursue uh, uh, further CFIUS actions while that legal uh, issues are pending. Uh, I, I want to turn to the U.S. economy domestically in just a moment, but I have one related follow-up on TikTok. There's a number of U.S. Uh, Wall Street banks that are thinking about whether they should be trying to underwrite a uh, ByteDance IPO if, in fact, it goes public. Should they? What do you think the, the issues are around doing something like that, given the concerns that I think you, you and others uh, around uh, Washington have expressed around, around that company? Well, look, we do have concerns around the potential issues with privacy and social media, but I'm really not at liberty to discuss um, the TikTok case in detail. Um, I, I want to avoid... Um, giving advice to investors. This is a matter that has not yet been resolved. Um, let's talk, turn to the domestic economy. Thanksgiving is coming up and uh, some good news, at least that we're hearing in terms of inflation and the price of uh, turkey and what it's going to cost people at, at home to buy it, uh, to, to get through Thanksgiving has come down, but it is still more expensive than where we are uh, in 2021. Um, how do you think about where we are in, in this inflation battle? So I think we're making considerable progress in bringing inflation down. And we saw this clearly in last week's news. 12-month um, headline inflation is down to 3.2 percent. That's 
um, down almost six percentage points from its high. But although um, prices in general are rising much less quickly, Americans still see uh, increases in some important prices, including food from uh, where we were prior to the pandemic. And um, th this remains notable to people who uh, go to the store and shop or rents, although they're rising less quickly now, are certainly higher than they were before the pandemic. So I do think we're making considerable progress in bringing inflation down. But um, Americans do notice higher prices from what they used to be accustomed to. Um, and importantly, you know, we're making this inflation progress while maintaining a strong economy and a strong labor market. So that's good news for Americans. Madam Secretary, it may be good news for, for, for Americans, but it doesn't seem to be showing up in the polls uh, for President Biden. And I also want to uh, read you something. Uh, a recent poll by The New York Times and uh, Siena College finding 59 percent of voters under 30 rate the economy as poor. So, you know, philosophically and sort of intellectually, you can look at a lot of these numbers and say, this man, this is a, a great economy in so many ways on a relative basis to history and the like. But at the same time, you have poll numbers and others saying that they don't feel it. Yeah, I'm aware of that. And I think it's our job to um, explain to Americans what President Biden has done to improve the economy. I think as inflation comes down, uh, prices stop rising and the labor market remains strong. Um, Americans will begin to see that we have made meaningful progress. And importantly, the administration is making investments in America that will show up in improved conditions um, and more availability of good jobs uh, in many parts of the country that have not seen a lot of progress. We've had good economic results on the coasts. Many parts of the country over the last several decades have been left behind. And now as a result of the trifecta of legislation that's been passed, the Infrastructure Bill, the Chips and Science Act, the Inflation Reduction Act, we've, we've had over $500 billion in manufacturing investments that have been announced. We're beginning to see some of those come to fruition. Um, uh, a new battery belt uh, in the middle in the middle of America in places that really need good jobs. And I think this is really improving America's prospects over the medium term. And over time, Americans will see that and feel more hopeful about our prospects. Madam Secretary, I also want to turn our attention to some of the geopolitical issues that uh, we are all facing. Uh, Ukraine and Israel, um, the Biden administration has this $105 billion security age package um, on the table. What's the chance that it, uh, it gets passed before the end of the year? Well, um, it's a critical priority for the president and critical to the national security of our country. Um, I can't prognosticate about the timetable on this. Um, I'm pleased that Congress has passed legislation to keep the government open and running. But it really is essential that 
uh, this aid be provided both to Israel and to Ukraine. We can't allow uh, Ukraine to um, lose a battle uh, on the home front because it lacks enough money to keep uh, school teachers in the classroom and first responders on the job when it's fighting valiantly um, on on the battlefield. So uh, Ukraine is utterly dependent on this aid. We need to join um, others. The the uh, our European friends are uh, providing have provided fifty billion euro of. Um, aid to Ukraine over the next four years. The IMF uh, has provided over 15 billion. They need us to do our part uh, for this to hold together as a package. And of course, Israel um, urgently needs aid as well. And these, this aid is critical to the national security of America. Um, we, uh, if Putin were to win this brutal war uh, in Ukraine, uh, next we might see him attacking a, a NATO ally of ours. Um, we need to stop this. Well, let me ask you this, though. The other piece of this on the other side is that we are having our debt and deficit go up and up and up and up and up. Uh, we had uh, Stan Druckenmiller on our program recently. He said, we are spending like drunken sailors. Pre-COVID, we were spending 20 percent. The federal government was 20 percent of GDP in spending. Right. It's now 25 percent of GDP. My father told me, if you're in a hole, stop digging, Stan. Don't forget, uh, pre-COVID, the federal government was 20 percent of GDP. Now it's 25 percent of GDP. My father told me, if you're in a hole, stop digging, Stan. And so the question is, if we're going to be um, spending this money, are there offsets? Should we be thinking about offsets? Or is that the wrong way to think about it in the, in the context uh, of war and national security? Well, um, I, I don't think we need to have offsets for what is an emergency a national security situation. But we certainly do need a fiscally responsible and sustainable uh, path uh, for spending and taxation in our economy. Uh, President Biden has uh, signed a bills that result in a trillion dollars of deficit reduction over the next uh, 10 years. Um, We've had responsible investments in the U.S. economy that will have a payoff, um, and uh, we've provided additional uh, money to the Internal Revenue Service, which will have an enormous payoff in closing the $7 trillion tax gap that we have in the United States. We're simply not collecting the taxes that people owe, and this will have a huge payoff as well. And President Biden's last budget proposed an additional $2.5 trillion of deficit reduction while continuing to invest in the economy. So um, we need to work with Congress to put some of this into effect. And of course, the higher interest rate environment does pose additional challenges that we need to address. Madam Secretary, finally, I wanted to get your thoughts on uh, what we've been all watching over the weekend, uh, the moves around OpenAI and Sam Altman, uh, the move to Microsoft. I'm so curious how you think about that, the governance of it, and its importance to the United States. OpenAI probably considered one of the most important uh, companies or organizations 
in, in the world right now, uh, given its lead in uh, artificial intelligence, the future of it, uh, both the innovation of it, but also the dangers of it? Well, um, as you know, President Biden issued an executive order um, on AI. We, um, the administration, obviously sees enormous potential benefits from AI, but dangers as well that clearly needs need to be addressed. In fact, this was one of the topics that President Biden and President Xi discussed the importance of responsibly using AI and formed a work group um, to further consider what policies should be in place to accomplish that. But I really don't have a comment for you on what is um, essentially a personnel issue with open, open AI. So I don't have a, a comment on what's happened over the weekend, although clearly we've taken note of it. Uh, Madam Secretary, we appreciate your time this morning, your perspective, and look forward to talking to you again very, very soon. Thank you. Cheese will be next. Coming up next on Squawk Pod, the whirlwind of tweets, leaders, and condemnations that was this weekend, how Elon Musk alienated advertisers over anti-Semitic content, and what happens now with CEO of the ADL, Jonathan Greenblatt. There's still big problems at Meta. There are big issues on TikTok. I mean, this isn't, you know, confined to X. That being said, I get why brands are alarmed when the site, you know, swings back and forth. I get why they're concerned when there still is this proliferation of anti-Semitic poison. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. You're listening to Squawk Pod. Stand by Joe. His mic. Q. Good morning and welcome back to Squawk Box here on CNBC, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Joe Kernan along with Becky Quick and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Elon Musk's uh, tweet on X endorsing an anti-Semitic conspiracy theory, sending advertisers running uh, from the platform. Julia Borston uh, joins us now uh, with the fallout. Julia. Well, Joe, an advertiser boycott of X has grown Apple, which sends tens of millions of spends tens of millions of dollars on X, along with IBM, Disney, Paramount Global, Lionsgate and Comcast, which is CNBC's parent company, have confirmed that they've paused ad spending on X. Now, in addition to Musk's anti-Semitic conspiracy theory tweet on Thursday, Media Matters published a report that showed that X has placed ads for major brands, including those that pause spending, next to content that touts Adolf Hitler and his Nazi party. Musk responding to Media Matters on X late Friday night, saying, quote, the split second that court opens on Monday, X Corp will be filing a thermonuclear lawsuit against Media Matters and all those who colluded in this fraudulent attack on our company. Media Matters president responding, quote, Musk admitted the ads at issue ran alongside the pro-Nazi content we identified. If he does sue us, we will win. Then on Saturday, X posting a blog saying Media Matters created an alternate X account and deliberately followed sensitive accounts 
to curate posts and to get advertising to appear on the account's timeline to then misinform advertisers about the placement of their posts. Now, X had been suffering from advertiser concern about brand safety ever since Musk took over the company just over a year ago. Insider intelligence estimated in October, so before all of this, that X's worldwide ad revenue this year will drop by nearly 55%. Joe? All right. Yeah, that's... Uh... I, I don't know. Uh, I don't know how to, to figure it out. Uh, there's a couple of issues, uh, Julie, and that is trying to figure, get, get a way to not have your advertising next to, uh, or uh, anywhere near offensive content. And then just the issue of Elon Musk uh, himself. I, I think that that I don't, we're going to talk about it actually more uh, right now, uh, Julie, with someone who uh, has had quite a. Uh, quite a saga with Elon Musk himself. Yeah, actually, this is something we've been talking about for a while. Jonathan Greenblatt is here. He's the CEO and national director of the Anti-Defamation League. And Jonathan, you have had some back and forth with Elon Musk yeah. over time. I, I think at this point you're in favor of some of the moves, but why don't you just go back to last week, what you saw, what you thought about it? Well, look, Becky, so even we step back a little bit, right? Like, let's acknowledge this has been an incredibly fraught time for the Jewish community in the United States and really around the world. We have seen this tsunami of anti-Semitism. We tracked a thousand incidents, verified acts of hate in the 40 days after the massacre in Israel, right? That's a third of everything we saw last year. And last year was previously the record high. When you say acts of hate, define that. Give some examples. Acts of vandalism, harassment, violence directed at Jewish people or Jewish institutions. Right. You're not just talking about a post on Twitter. No saying way. I'm These talking are actual about things events. in the real world, like the killing of a man in uh, Los Angeles a few weeks ago, like assaults in New York and across the country, like the threats and harassment against college students on campuses across America. So we're seeing all that this weekend. That and some of this is being committed by, you know, hardened anti-Zionists, you know, pro-Hamas zealots. And we see them. We see them tearing down American flags right here at Grand Central Station. We see them rioting in front of the Democratic National Committee last week in Washington. And then this weekend in Madison, right in front of the Capitol, a group of right-wing extremists parading black flags with swastikas marched they literally assembled around the synagogue and they chanted, there will be blood. So Elon Musk retweets something, reposts something um, that plays into anti-Semitic tropes. Saying that, play, look, that, that is, is, is a huge part of saying that uh, Jewish people are um, against white people, that you are uh, going through some of these things. Gets into a big debate. You go to him, a lot of other people go to him, and his response has been what? Well, so just again, to walk through that timeline. So on Wednesday, he retweeted this crazy post that accused Jews of being against the West and of all Jews supporting hordes of immigrants changing the country, et cetera. And he tweeted, this is the exact truth. And then he went after ADL. Yeah. Look, it's incredibly problematic that he did that. And we called him out right away. I mean, this is the kind of anti-Semitic conspiracy that led to Charlottesville, that led to Pittsburgh, that led to Poway, et cetera. So it's dangerous when one of the most visible people on the planet 
tweets to his 160 million followers, this is the exact truth. Does he just not realize the power he has? I mean, these seem like... Um, I don't think it's for me to impugn what's in his head, yeah. but I think he has a set of political beliefs and set of ideas, and look, they are... These things can be dangerous. And then at the same time, two days later, he did something incredibly promising, which he said that Twitter is going to start suspending users who tweet annihilationist anti-Semitic language. Mm -hmm. This is around decolonization and from the river to the sea. These are people who are calling for the eradication of the Jewish state, which right now literally is in a war for its life. And so if he does that, it is a kind of leadership because no other social media companies. Yeah, this is a much further step. Much further step, and I hope the others will follow. So one doesn't negate the other. One is problematic, one is promising. My job at ADL is to call balls and strikes, not to play for this team or that team. So we, again, call them out. Like, and you know, I don't believe in cancel culture. I believe in council culture. You get it wrong, I'll say something, but then I'll call you in and try to help you get it right. And I think that's what happened here. Have you spoken with him or any representatives? Yes. I spoke with Elon at length on Friday. And, and what, what was his general take? What do you think happens? These moves that he made, the step that he took, uh, was because of what he really heard and, and understands um, what these, I think he these veiled threats of genocide are too? Not even veiled, calls to genocide, right? Calls to genocide are not just violative of the terms of service of X, and they are, they're completely out of step with reality, and they're wrong, and they're dangerous for Jewish people. So again, whether it's coming from Elon or it's coming from other parties, we're gonna praise the people who get it right, but when they get it wrong, we'll call that out too. So I think in speaking to Elon, look, I don't know what's in his head or in his heart, but he's got many Jewish friends. He's surrounded by Jewish people. I've heard where he's coming from. I don't think he's an anti-Semite, but that doesn't necessarily mean he won't sometimes retweet, promote anti-Semitic content, and it's still dangerous. That's why we want him to stop. When doing you talked to him, did he say that he thought what he had retweeted, that post from last week, was wrong? Um, look, I wouldn't get into this, all the specifics of a private conversation, but again, we remember on this show we've talked about this before: how you can say things that are critical of Israel and yet not be anti-Semitic. I think he's got strong political views, and sometimes he'll repeat texts or tweets, sorry, that are just totally offensive. Uh, if nothing else, Elon is very impulsive, but he does have to understand that when, again, you are one of the most influential private citizens on the planet, you gotta be careful when you spread this stuff. It's so it's a subject that, that we've been talking about a lot, and, and there's times where I just don't, it, yeah. it, it, it's so sensitive that I, I am struck that, it, it, see, whenever you say something like past actions are coming home to roost, right. and somehow say, well, what do you expect? I mean, that right there, Elon should have never said, well, yeah, what do you expect when you've done this to somehow say that you've brought this on? on yourself. But mm -hmm. I, I thought President Obama said something with that com the ridiculous complicit uh, uh, speech yeah, he that he gave. Yeah, media. Terrible. So uh, not great. But on college campuses, I, I mean, colonialism, when, when, when you're talking about it nonstop and you need safe spaces without Christopher Columbus and you have to get rid of all the statues and you've got, you know, Halloween if someone is culturally taking someone else's you know, when you get to that point, but suddenly 
saying genocide of the Jews is okay with these same people. I, I don't understand how we got here, Look, Jonathan. Situation. How did it become part of woke? How did it become part of wokeness? The most obvious, offensive, disgusting, yeah. bigoted, hateful language is being perpetrated by the same people that had their microaggression and, and their safe space. Look, let's be clear, anti-Semitism can come from all sides. What we're seeing on these college no, campuses right from, now is yeah. really, really ugly. And it's a kind of oppression Olympics, right? Yeah, Oppressed versus uh, oppressors. And for whatever reason, in this kind of bizarro, upside-down world, despite the fact that the Jews are the most targeted religious minority in America, despite the fact that the Jewish people have been subjected no, no, what did, what, what did to... you make of it when, when they asked the press secretary about it? People, Jewish kids on college campuses are worried about their safety. I they, did, you look, ask I them that and them. they come back with anti-Muslim uh, extremism. Is all, when they answer it that way, what is the administration? Where did that come from? I, I can't speak for the what press secretary. What do you secretary. think it came from? Uh, large uh, Muslim populations in a swing state? Is that what it comes from? I don't know. What I do know is you're right what you said. College, Jewish college students right now right. are terrified. They're terrified because did you see what happened at the University of Michigan on Friday where anti-Israel students stormed the right. building? All these calls at Tufts University, my alma mater, occupying the student center and saying intifada is the only solution. The intifada right. was a violent set of right. terror attacks that killed over 1,100 people. Suicide bombings and shootings and stabbings. Who thinks this is normal? Look, we need our yeah. college presidents right. to say you can have strong opinions, but inciting violence against your peers is beyond, is beyond the pale. Right. Andrew? Hey, Jonathan, uh, I just wanted to return to the X conversation for a second because I don't think um, you, you, you touched on it just yet, which was, yeah. do you have a definitive view about whether the advertisers that have left X in the last several days um, as a function of the Media Matters report and potentially uh, Elon Musk's own commentary should return to the platform, given Look, I think your comments over the weekend? I think advertisers need to make their own decisions about brand safety. I've seen what Disney, I've seen what Apple, I've seen what all these other brands are doing stepping back. I don't know how Media Matters did the analysis, but we've certainly seen hateful, ugly content up on X, and by the way, up on the other social media platforms too. Let's just keep in mind that there's still big problems at Meta. There are big issues on TikTok. I mean, this isn't you know, confined to X. That being said, I get why brands are alarmed when the site you know, swings back and forth. I get why they're concerned when there still is this proliferation of anti-Semitic poison. So I appreciate it. What would you tell these companies that have pulled, paused their advertising on X? Based on your conversation with Elon, based on the moves that he's making, would you suggest that they go back on and start advertising again? I think they should watch how the policies get enforced. Make sure that he follows through on the things he says he's going to do. And then as the site cleans up, that might give them the confidence to bring their brands back to the so platform. So not yet? Is Again, I'm not going to tell these businesses how to run their shops, but I, I do understand the concern. I mean, look, as a Jewish person with kids in college, I'm alarmed as well. I don't want them to be exposed to this. I want this anti-Semitism removed. So brands have to do what they have to do. But Jonathan, Andrew? the reason this is such an important question is, you know, you have called on boycotting and protesting different social media platforms over the years. I have. You have talked to advertisers about and told them not to not to do this. In fact, Elon Musk has accused you of doing this. 
And right. so the reason why this is such an important and specific question that almost deserves a specific answer is that. Look, I mean, we were, I remember being on the show a few years ago when we ran the Stop Hate for Profit campaign against Facebook, when they were allowing white supremacists to use Facebook groups to organize and to promote their, their poison. And we've stepped up and spoken out against X when they had similar issues as well. So in this case, as you know, um, a lot of advertisers are deeply concerned about what's happening there. Their concern is valid, but ultimately I think it's up to them to make their own decisions. I understand why if you're selling the new iPhone or promoting the new Disney movie, you don't want your content to be slated against some neo-Nazi material. I totally appreciate that. I wouldn't want my stuff up there either if I was in the same position. Jonathan, thank you for coming in today. Thank you. Jonathan Greenblatt. That's Squawk Pod for today, this Monday. Thanks for starting your week with us. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern. And to get the best of our show anytime, follow Squawk Pod wherever you listen. If you listen on Apple Podcasts, please take a second, rate Squawk Pod, give us a couple of stars, maybe four or five, or even write a brief review with your thoughts. That helps other listeners discover us. That's it. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.